the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com, or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leaders. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. And we are right here, ready to go. Thank you for joining us tonight, everyone. So glad, eager to get on the air, eager to visit with you tonight. We're going to continue what we always do here on Sunday evening. We're going to continue to discuss and talk with you not at you, but with you. We invite you to join us and give us your thoughts. And uh, just this inc- wonderful journey we make every year through the entire Bible. Uh, that's what it's called, the Bible Live. And so we invite you, please tell your friends and neighbors and uh, your fellow church members and wherever you worship the Lord, um, tell them about this wonderful program where we get to go through the entire Bible every year. And there will be some some amazing insights. My good friend, my uh, partner in crime here is uh, Jacob is on board with me. We are uh, he's bringing that expertise, his background uh, as as a Jewish man to uh, with knowledge of the Hebrew and many, many, many years studying and reading about uh, not only the the uh, Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, but also one who has given attention to the New Testament as well, uh, the original languages of Greek and Aramaic, and, and uh, brings that insight. Remember that the Bible essentially is a Jewish or a Hebrew uh, production. It is it, the, the Tanakh in particular as the 
history and the experiences uh, as presented to us in the Old Testament, where God the Creator, uh, beginning at the beginning, the creation of humanity, gives us the purpose, the reason for the human race, and then moves on to chapter 11 of the book of Genesis. He picks out Abraham and and begins with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and their uh, their descendants. He begins to work with this particular people group uh, in Never exclusively, always his objective, as we see in the scriptures, is always God is calling out of the entire human race a people for himself. But he gives a special revelation to humanity through uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, through this people group, and they write down this history of their involvement and their experiences, uh, the revelation that God, the Creator, gave of himself to them and with them and through them. To the entire human race. And of course, we follow that narrative. It's not only a revelationary, uh, a, a narrative of revelation, but also a, a narrative of redemption that God is going to bring through uh, the people, the, the people of Israel, the chosen people there uh, for this purpose of revelation, chosen for that God is going to bring to the world a redeemer, a savior, uh, a redemptive plan that, through which, through which, Men from every race and tribe and language around the world can come into a confident, secure relationship with God. That's that's the kind of overview, the big narrative of the Bible. And Jacob is here uh, with me. We're looking at that redemptive plan. We're looking at that revelation that God has given of himself. But also God reveals to us in the scriptures, as Jacob is fond of reminding me. Hi, by the way, my friend. Good to see you. Hey. Glad you're on board. You're que fond- paso, vato. Que paso. Yeah, there you go. You're fond of reminding me the uh, fact that... Uh, the Bible is not just about the redemptive narrative, the redemptive plan. You ever notice? I always like that when you say redemptive. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make doesn't necessarily make you righteous. I notice there's a great emphasis on redeeming, like a pawn shop. Mm-hmm. We've been bought back. Yeah. Well, okay, so you're redeeming. Yeah, isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. You remember the movie Pulp Fiction? Yes. Uh huh. Remember where that all that whole thing takes place? Uh, well, the whole thing it takes place in different places. Yeah, no, right? the big scene where they the where they come back and he the and the black gangster is doing stuff and the the white boxer comes back and saves him. It all takes place in a pawn shop. There's a message there. He's redeeming himself. Ah, that's interesting. I yeah. had never thought of that. Well, I, I I watch for that kind of stuff. It, it, yeah, I know you do. In in the in the well. A lot of people will not want to watch that movie uh, for a number of different reasons, but uh, that's interesting that clearly, I mean, the scripture, the guy quotes this scripture verse from uh, Ezekiel, is it? Yeah. Ezekiel, remember it? Uh, uh, yeah, the gang, so. He's all the time quoting that verse book to people before he shoots I'll them. I'll rain yeah. down on you with my righteous fury. Yeah, 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 that. yeah, I remember that. <clears throat> well, the, I mean, it obviously has religious overtones the, 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 there's no doubt about it. there's there's a religious somewhere in there there's a religious understanding it, they they well, made my, it part my, of the story so yeah, my emphasis was that, uh I notice it's always talked about redemption mm-hmm. redeeming mm-hmm. and I think that's a good word uh, and uh, because redeeming means something is being bought back you know that's right. back yeah you loaned it to somebody, you're taking it back. What is it? Paradise lost and then paradise regained. We've been rebought. You, you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, we're told in the New Testament. You, oh, we've been true. redeemed. But so, uh, that's the idea. There, It's not only, though, about a redemptive narrative of of being 
redeemed, of going to heaven, of being, of having, a, a, but it's also about then how, as redeemed people, how we should live in the practicality. And I think that that's one of the emphasis that you help bring from the Jewish community is that the Bible, it, 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 it's about also about how we should live well, if I we are God's people. I think it's fair to say in the Torah, <clears throat> the Tanakh, what you refer to as the Old Testament, mm-hmm. that really is not. There's a few references here and there about something in some afterlife, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But it's really on how you're supposed to live. Given the given fact of an afterlife is a given. So that's not what that's concentrating. That's on concentrating on how you're supposed to act towards your fellow human beings and towards God. Yeah, but there are a lot of references. And we're, by the way, folks, we're right now. Uh, moving from the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, we're picking up now. Uh, I, I think we went back and, and read the books of First and Second Corinthians uh, tonight. I think we'll be finishing up our we'll discussion. Finish, uh, Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians. Again, my favorite book. Uh, yeah, Jacob's favorite book of the Bible, the book of Job. Right, and which means Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Oldest book. Yeah, and therefore. Uh, I learn more about God from that book than I do the other books, any other book. Mm-hmm. But and that's I, just you. That is just me. <laughs> and since I'm sponsoring that, I All right, that. you stand by it. Yes. Uh, you are an expert in your own opinion. That's, that's, uh, you've to- made that clear to right. us. And I memorize how to spell my name in case others forget. Okay, now here we go. Yes. Job means what? The word Job. Eov is suffering, suffering uh, servant. Suffering servant, so okay. So he's suffering. And you said this is the oldest book, although you made it clear to me as well, uh, and we'll look at this tonight, that there is a reference in the book of Job, uh, a reference to the flood. There is. The the flood of Noah. There is. So we'll see that next week. There's a <coughs> reference that's to Noah and the flood. There's other references. And there's things that are taking place that we also know because of this three um, obstinate friends uh-huh. that uh, who they are, that that kind of gives us a time period when it was written, too. Okay. Explain that to us, because we're in that part, introducing the book a bit. What You've got Job, it means suffering. We'll get to it, and these opening chapters are yeah. really amazing. Well, let's just give some groundwork. Okay. Okay, so uh, the, he has three friends that come to him. Okay. They all try to console him. So to speak. And if you don't know what they're saying, it seems so logical, so practical, perhaps even comforting. Uh So the one first is Eliphaz, who's a Temanite, and he is actually Esau's oldest son. There's Bilidad. He is... uh, he actually comes from the the adapted name of Bel, another god. And then there's Zophar, uh, that uh, he he's only mentioned once in the Bible. But then there's another guy named Naaman, N-A-A-M-A-H. Uh-huh. And he's also mentioned in Joshua. And so a, a town or a city's evidently also developed around him. So we, we have some idea... Especially with the sense it's Esau's oldest son, that gives us a certain time period. Uh-huh. Also, uh, there's certain references. But while we don't have Mount Sinai listed, we don't have the actual Ten Commandments, we do have certain religious holidays addressed, which means that somehow Job knew about them. But, you know, and one So Job preceded Abraham. In terms of life, and 
And we're thinking that his... Well, I don't know about that because, remember, Esau would be a child Oh, of, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. And very interesting so, that. Yeah. But there's something, there's a message here. <clears throat> but, you know, Job is interesting because everybody knows the story that a lot of unfair things happen to him. But before we get to that... I'll, no, we just trailed off there. I'm sorry. You said it, it may not be because Esau is referenced. And so Esau is the son of Isaac, who is Abraham's son. Yes. So just so our, our listeners can know, that's why we say, oh, that's right. He might. Have, but does that mean that Job lived during that time or that or? Well, I don't think. Yes, I think he must have okay. lived at that time. Yeah. And he would have been older. By the time uh, this uh, sure. son of Esau, sure, sure. okay, that's so. But we think it's the oldest book in well, the Bible. I'll, anybody that I know, Christian uh-huh. or Jewish scholars, they all agree that it's the oldest book. Was it written by Abraham or well, by Moses? Knows I mean, for sure, who it was written by. <clears throat> the, the smart money thinks it's written by Moses, but it could be written by different people. But nobody knows for sure. I uh, like that reference to the smart money. That's yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> so, but I do want to say this. So we have Job that seems to stick to his guns through some terrible stuff. And then since we're finishing Second Corinthians, Paul, in a sense, is, you might say, Jobish, because he also <laughs> sticks to his guns in spite of uh, all the stuff he has to go through in Chronicles. Uh, and so Corinthians, both, you mean? I do mean Corinthians. Uh-huh. Thank you for your help on you that. You bet. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Always happy to help you by correcting you. <laughs> you're, and, and I've noticed that you take advantage of that a lot. Yeah, a great delight. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, but usually it's acceptable and usually correct. Uh-huh. Um, well, thank you. So um, I will say, so both these characters have certain characteristics about them that they both stick to the guns, you might say. But Well, how do you want to start tonight? Do you want, want to start I with a consideration start, of Corinthians or go no, right into I Job? I really want to start with something else. Okay. Because we had agreed two weeks ago that not last week, but this week, we had talked about the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Well, there are other people that also showed up in American history. That I have, you might say, the same tenacity as Job, perhaps mm-hmm. even Paul. And uh, it's the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Okay. And I thought, I can't go through them all because it's too long mm-hmm. and probably too tedious. But I thought I'd bring it in because there were 56 signers of mm-hmm. the Declaration of Independence. Would you be interested in knowing what happened to the majority? Yes, let's let's talk about that. And because they do share a characteristic, and I'm not sure we have a lot of people like this anymore. But you know, uh, there were 56. Five were captured, and tortured, and executed as traitors. 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence. That okay. is correct. Five were captured, tortured, and killed as traitors. Twelve had all their homes and properties ransacked and burned. Uh, two or three of them had their children uh, killed in the Revolutionary War. Now, what's fascinating is that, and I'm just for the clarity's sake, I'm going to run through a few signers. Some mm-hmm. of the names will be familiar, some will not. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that 24 were lawyers or judges. Nine were farmers or owners of plantations. They were all men of substance, educated men. They were not just a bunch of starry-eyed rebels. Now, one of the signers was a guy named Carter Braxton. He was a wealthy planner. He, he had ships. All his ships 
were swept away from the seas by the British. They were destroyed. He lost his home and his properties, and he died in rags. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Then there was a man named Thomas Lynch. Uh, he was actually an aristocrat, a third-generation aristocrat, wealthy man. He got very sick when all uh, his wife and his property and everything was destroyed, his life, I mean. And he and his wife got on a ship that was going to go back and try to hide in France. The ship never arrived. Nobody knows what happened to him. Mm. Thomas McKean. Uh, he was uh, he was forced to move his family and keep him and his family on run for years, for months for sure. And uh, he served in Congress. And his family and he ended up living in poverty and in hiding. Mm. Now, Thomas Nelson, Jr., he was a wealthy man. He raised like two, the Thomas Nelson Publishing Company. That's where they got their name, I guess, right? Well, it could be. Mm-hmm, we could mm-hmm. guess that and probably feel very good about that guess. <laughs> um, but he had—he was a wealthy man. Now, I can imagine way back then, for a man that has $2 million, that's a wealthy guy, educated guy. So he actually signed a, a notes and guaranteed all and pledged all of his wealth. And he did it to the French. He gave them guarantees if they would help supply loans and mm-hmm. weapons and things. And by, at the end, he had his entire estate wiped out. Um, in fact, at one point, General Washington had to, do, had to actually order Nelson's home destroyed. He, Nelson had all of his money spent to pay the debts. He died in bankrupt, and his wife... Uh, he had pledged his life and his fortune and, of course, his honor, mm-hmm. but he lost everything. Uh, the, the Hessian force, forces, who were Germans and the mercenaries, you might say, hired by England, they seized several of the homes and burnt them. Mm. A man named Francis Lewis, his wife was imprisoned. He escaped. She was tortured and died within a few months in prison. Richard Stockton. He was captured, tortured. He died at age 51, and they took all of his wealth and destroyed the rest of his state. Now, isn't that part of the signing of the declarations? They said, we pledge our fortunes, we pledge our lives. We, you know, what, and their sacred honor. And their sacred honor. And, and so this is, this is... It this actually is cost them. Oh, we it, haven't it, got it, to the, the really interesting yeah. ones yet. But the, Thomas, so far we're seeing Thomas, examples of yeah. that very thing happening. Thomas Hayward was signed or was captured <clears throat> and also killed. Um, a man named John Hart. Uh, he, was his wife was sick and in bed, and he was taking care of his wife. They attacked his house. He fled, and his 13 children fled. His house, his grist mill, his farm, everything was burnt. He had to hide his children, 13, and he went in different directions. When finally the war was over, he returned home. He found everything destroyed. His wife, of course, was dead and never saw his 13 children again. We don't know what happened to them. Mm. Uh, there was a man named Lewis Morris. That what a price was paid. Mm. And his entire family was tortured and scattered. All his land was burnt. Philip Livingston, because of the hardships of the war, he ended up dying in poverty. John Hancock. Remember him? Sure do. Sure, everybody knows John Hancock. Put your John Hancock. Because he's, he signs with a big... 
big letters on this. If you see a copy of the Declaration of Independence and all the names sure. that are signed, this he, he, is very big. <laughs> he used pretty big letters when he yes, signed his name, does. right? Is that That's him. the same one? And he was one of the first ones to sign, so everybody <clears throat> else would be bold enough to copy him. Mm-hmm. And of course, he made the statement that I want it big enough where everybody, the king, can see it in England. And that gave other people courage, I guess. Mm-hmm. At any rate, so when he was fighting, he was actually with George Washington. And he, all his wealth, all his property was located in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. And when they came there, he actually was quoted as saying to George Washington, go ahead and destroy my home and all the property I have in Boston. In fact, the quote was, burn Boston, though it makes John Hancock himself a beggar, if it, the public good requires it. Isn't mm. that something? Yeah. Now, there's one more that I'd like to tell you about. We know about Mr. Now, these are the 56 signers. You told us the stories of Mm -hmm. probably a good good 15 or 20 of them. There's a lot more, yeah. But there's one more I'd like to tell about that people don't know very much about. Mm -hmm. His name was Chaim Solomon. He was a Polish-born Jew and an immigrant to America. He had a little money. He went around and talked to all the other Jews in Connecticut and New York, collected a, a good sum of money, pledged the money to help buy bullets and uniforms. It's one mm-hmm. thing to declare a freedom or a war, but like Mr. Nelson and Mr. Solomon, somebody has to provide the guns and the bullets and the uniforms and the supplies. Somebody's got to feed the army. So he ended up um, he ended up making losing all of his money, all mm-hmm. the money he borrowed, and he actually uh, ended up dying impoverished and left date debts that his children had to continue to pay off that was larger than his estate. So all these men, mm. when they said they pledged their, 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 their uh, sacred honor, they meant it. Uh, what a price was paid. So... And so we had men like that in the in the uh, original founding of America. Those are the kind of men that demonstrate certain qualities that I would say that Paul probably demonstrates in Second Corinthians, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and certainly Job, Job demonstrates mm-hmm. a tenacity, a stick to the truth, a, a remain faithful. Uh, I remember a wonderful quote from uh, Job nineteen twenty five. Uh, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that He shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And He says, "Though in, in the midst of His suffering, He says, though God slay me, yet will I trust Him." You know, there's, there's this tenacity. I'm going to well, trust God. I'm going to continue. Go ahead. I don't know the, uh, the rest of it is <clears throat> basically because then He'll have to face me. Mm-hmm. Whoa, Job saying, "I didn't do anything wrong." Mm-hmm. So. If he slays me, I'll trust in him. I'll go to what we might call the afterlife mm-hmm. or heaven. Mm-hmm. But I'll be there, and I didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, it is. Uh, that, and, of course, that brings us to the, that passage. I, let me mention one other thing about Corinthians. I, I, I appreciate you doing that tonight is helping us bridge now from the books, uh, these letters that Paul wrote back to the people of Corinth. And as we mentioned last week, there were actually – uh, we there are four such letters. They are referenced in the books of First and Second Corinthians. Uh, we only have two of them. 
uh, for, that we call the the books of first, the epistles of First and Second Corinthians. But there were two other letters. We they were they are lost to us. But we have now. Paul lived in Corinth. He he had a great. He talked and preached to these people. He had a, he shared life with them in their community. And now he's he's writing back to them. Uh, they they have problems in their church. Remember, Corinth is a very sinful, wicked uh, city. There there all kinds of brothels. It's the center of idol worship. Uh, the worship of the, the Diana, the false god of Diana. The temple was there with temple prostitutes and all kinds of perversion and immorality. Uh, so Corinth was a very tough city uh, to be a part of the church. Uh, people committed to to holiness and living right before it God. It's hard and, to get a gig there. Yeah, and so so Paul has to really help them, and they they struggle. They have a lot of problems in the in the community and the congregations there. Uh, then they are addressed very directly. But the point is, is that you're drawing a a, a line between Corinthians and the tenacity and the. the the willingness to follow God in the midst of a very wicked, uh, sinful environment, and to stay, stick to your guns, to be consistent and stay with it. And we see that same theme now in the book of Job. This guy is, and and uh, I'm really counting on you to give us a lot of insights about Job um, because it's your favorite book, and you have that that Hebrew background and experience that'll help well, us. I learn more about for me. I learn more about God from the book of Job than any other book. Mm-hmm. I really do. And it's about this guy. We know the – and we can come back after this uh, break and we can talk about the oh, fact take that a break. we happen to know the story. Mm. We, we know the – one of the great things about the book of Job is that we know something that the people in the story, in the book, don't know. We know the background. We know about Satan comes before God and says, "Can you know?" I, and, and God starts out the whole book bragging on this guy, which is kind of cool. God is bragging on one of His people, and which I, I've always thought, "Wow, I hope God is bragging on me somehow or other." Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful to honor God in such a way that even God, you know, is Think proud he's of listening you? to the show tonight? Yeah, oh, maybe so. Does yeah. he? Does he know the phone number? <laughs> What is the phone number? <laughs> That's the greatest segue I think I've ever heard. Yeah, God knows the phone number. It's 210-340-9585. So if any of you listening would like to join us and God, this is God's talk show, by the oh, way. Yeah. You know, we're, it's not about us. It's about his book and what he says. So uh, if you'd like to join us, you can call 210-340-9585. But Job is – we know the background. Satan comes before God and his angels and he presents himself and he is he is given permission by God oh. to tempt to try put to trial Job's faithfulness and Job's devotion to God. And so um that that's what we will we'll get into tonight. We know that background, but you've got Job going through these trials and his suffering and then you have his three so-called friends, yes. and, and we meet a younger one, a and fourth be, one. before we jump there, since we kind of uh, chronologically have to finish Chronicles, mm-hmm. haha, notice mm-hmm. how I did that. Uh, but there's Corinthians. I, I meant You keep saying Chronicles. I do. I yeah, have it that's on all right. Mind. It's all right. But I know we, I hear some music. Does that mean uh-huh. we're taking a break? Yeah, we are. We've got okay. to. Yeah. When we come back, I'm going to ask you a question about 2 Corinthians. 
Okay. You know why I like Corinthians, that Second Corinthians because three you're seventeen. The you get a chance to talk. Uh, well, yeah, a little bit. Remember, <laughs> that's that wonderful verse in line with what you were saying about ah. the fifty-six signers. Yeah, yeah. There's that wonderful verse in Second Corinthians three. It says, "Where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. Ah. There is liberty." And there I think go. that's that's apropos that's for apropos. the Fourth of July as well. Well, folks, there's our music. We are going to take a quick break, and we'll come back. Don't go away now. Continue with us here on the Bible Live. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Our loving God wisely provides what we need, not necessarily what we want. Welcome to today's encouragement from Our Daily Bread. Today's reading, titled Sovereign Intervention, was written by Ruth O'Reilly Smith. Barbara grew up under the care of the British government in the 1960s, but when she turned 16, she and her newborn son, Simon, became homeless. The state was no longer obligated to provide for her at that age. Barbara wrote to the Queen of England for help and received a response. The Queen compassionately arranged for Barbara to be given a house of her own. The Queen of England had the right resources to help Barbara, and her compassionate assistance can be seen as a small picture of God's help. The King of Heaven knows all of our needs and sovereignly works out His plans in our lives. As He does, however, He longs for us to come to Him, sharing our needs and other concerns as part of our loving relationship with Him. The Israelites brought their need for deliverance to God. They were suffering under the burden of Egyptian slavery and cried out for help. He heard them and remembered his promise. According to Exodus 2.25, God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. He instructed Moses to bring liberty to his people and declared that he would once again release them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Our king loves it when we come to him. He wisely provides what we need, not necessarily what we want. Let's rest in His sovereign, loving provision. Today's encouragement was provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. The days of listening to radio at home are back again, thanks to Alexa. Now you can listen to your favorite radio station at home anytime you want through your Alexa device. Find out how you can get the AM630 The Word skill enabled on your Alexa by going to am630theword.com. After the skill is enabled, just say, hey Alexa, play The Word San Antonio. Then sit back and enjoy your favorite shows. Stay connected 24-7 with Alexa, opened by Advanced Custom Windows. Hey, this is Bob Olszewski. Thanks for listening to Plugged In. We've been covering the Jonas Brothers a lot lately. 
probably because they're dominating 2019 on several media fronts. And now we've reached the moment that many have been waiting for. They've released their first album in six years. Happiness begins. Sitting at number one on the Billboard album chart, this collection dives into marital advice, the power of human connection, and the joy that can be found in both. But their lyrics aren't geared toward little ears. The brothers openly talk about intimacy and drinking while throwing in some profanity, definitely making this an album for older Jonas fans. For a full review, visit PluggedIn.com slash radio. I'm Bob Olszewski for Focus on the Families Plugged In. Find out more about your favorite programs and the ministries on AM630 The Word by going to the program guide at am630theword.com. There, you'll get connected to the ministry website, email, and phone number. Plus, find out when your favorite show airs on the program guide at am630theword.com. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. God bless America, my home sweet home. God bless America, my We are back. This is the Bible Live uh, here on this great station, and we're listening to Kate Smith. I mean, they're after her now. The, I really like that. The, the She's politically that correct one line crowd. About oceans white with foam, and your intro comes on. Here's Soapy Dollar. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that where the white foam? Comes yeah, that, yeah, this is the white foam. It's soapy, right? The, 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 that's the whole point. No, no. Isn't that interesting that uh, you were talking about the uh, fact that we understand things greater in their context in that moment. More accurate that then well, we were talking we do, about that during the break. Well, yeah, in the break, we were, you and I were discussing well, nobody that. Nobody else was listening. Yeah, but now they are. We've told them about it, and we're talking about Job. We're talking about the books of the the Old Testament, uh, Chronicles, and Corinthians, and so on. But uh, and, and I think, and I was saying, I agree with you, 
For example, Kate Smith, there's a reality of her life. Uh, Isn't that interesting that what we're doing now in our country, this political correctness run amok, we're going back into another context, into another historic period, and we are reinterpreting their lives and what they did, these 56 men who paid such a tremendous price to sign the Declaration of Independence and they, their, their, their lives and their fortunes and their sacred honor and, and what happened to them. Now we're going back and we would, we would uh, condemn these men, these 56 men, because they lived in a period where slavery existed and not everything was perfect in the world they lived in. It, it, it's it's kind of crazy what we're doing is we're going back now and uh, Robert E. Lee and other great American uh, people who sacrificed and were faithful in that period. And we're judging them on the basis of current day values and current day uh, realities. Like I said, they're going back now and they're condemning, they're condemning Kate Smith. For some reason, I've never even understood why, why are they after this, woman who sang God Bless America. I don't even get it. I heard something that she sung somewhere, attended some event or did something. But the whole idea is this. It's not that they're after her. It's after the idea of their white Christian America. That's what they're after. And they're meant to destroy that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not afraid to say it. You know, I really don't. I don't. I'm looking for a fight, but I'm not going to run from one. Right. That's what this is about. Anything that's especially masculine is bad these days. Yeah. And, and, and the truth is, there are no people that are better than others. Whites are not better than blacks. Blacks are not better than whites. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. Than men. I mean, well, is I've that known, what you I've mean? Known the some idea? women that are better than men. <laughs> I've known some women that are a lot better than Yeah, yeah I get it. But, no, but, but I'm trying to fall in line with yeah, the principle you're giving is, there. Is, is that, that somebody is not bad just because they are who they are, because of their religion, because of their race or their sex. That's, they're not bad because of that. And the truth is, when you go down through the wars, like, for example, um, you're talking about the slavery. For example, the Bible forbids slavery. It's oh, a clearly, death penalty. Yeah. Now, does that mean people did bad things? Sure, they did bad things, but that doesn't mean God said it was okay. Secondly, in the Civil War, we fought a war to end, to end slavery. And if, I, if my numbers are correct, it was a very small population, but if I remember correct, there was a, a couple million people that were injured or died. Mm-hmm. And statistically, that would be like five times how many died in World War II. Mm-hmm. Some, I've heard this mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. on the radio. So that means we did that. Well, if you heard it on the radio, it has to be true. Well, of that's right. <laughs> and I think I heard it on your show. I oh, there you go. And then, it, then that double, double down on it. Yeah. Well, but that's the whole point. This, this, what's going on today, and particularly powerful influence it has had on the Democratic Party. Uh, there's this this wing, extreme left wing, this socialistic, even ranging as far as over in the communistic view of. of of our uh, of human existence and so on. It, wow, who would have ever thought? Except that we've been those of us who've been around a few years back in the you know back in the sixties. We saw the the seeds of this 
back then. We saw things developing that people said, you know, if this is allowed to go on and this takes and gathers uh, power and, you know, in our universities and this, that, and the other, this is going to lead to great we, – we could lose our freedoms as a nation that, because there's a denial of those great basic principles that uh, – that were part of the founding of this well, nation. You know, and I'm going to say something that might be a little bit uh, odd, but I, ideas don't frighten me. They don't scare me. I can tolerate people having different ideas. I can even tolerate mm-hmm. a, a discussion of socialism. Mm-hmm. My my instincts, my experience leads me a different direction. Mm-hmm. But if somebody feels that way, I'm willing to be courteous and listen to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I think that's what makes a democracy. And by the way, Greece did not establish democracy. That's not where America got the idea. America got the idea for democracy from the Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Speaking of that, talking about the Bible. <laughs> Great segue. Uh, what about, uh, you know, in this uh, second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. How'd I do? Corinthians. I set you up on I that know one. you did. I you, did. You were baiting People me. People couldn't see this, but I even pointed at you. So. <laughs> All right. So, listen, there is a, something fascinating in here, something that really is interesting. And I know there's great debates among this, and perhaps you can, you know, without, without, without getting drunk on the mm-hmm, issue, mm-hmm. Uh, could, you, uh, could you elucidate, uh-huh. and I, and I didn't say hallucinate, uh, on the uh, <laughs> Paul says, you know, in chapter uh, 13, it's actually one of your questions. Second Corinthians. I'm, cha- I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 12. There was no chapter 13, I don't believe, yeah. Well, there is, but I don't is want, there in I don't want to embarrass you. So we're well, that's not all right. I, I was, oh, yeah, there is. There, no, there no, is. no, I was wrong. I was wrong. It's obviously. <laughs> Hush up. I was Come thinking on. of Chronicles. Second Corinthians chapter no, 12. 12, okay. Verse 7. All right. Look what it says. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, Paul says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and he, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Okay. Mm. Now. That's a powerful passage. There is always what I hear peeking in the window, a large discussion, different theories, different debates on what this thorn in the flesh is. Yeah, I've would heard you different like theories to elu- as well. Would you like to elucidate being the representative of Christianity on this show? Oh, oh boy, that's a heavy burden to bear. But let me say that... Uh, yeah, I've heard the different points. Some people thought it was an actual ailment. Some people thought it was his blindness, uh, 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 a problem with his eyesight. Some people, uh, let me see, uh, mm, mm, I, I don't know what else, uh, uh, other theories, but what is this thorn in the flesh? Uh, uh, that would be all I could add at this moment off the top of my head. What are you going to what well, are you going I think it's referring to an ancient Hebrew aphorism, uh, a saying. Uh huh. I think he says three times, mm-hmm. and and uh, I the, what I have listened and what I've listened to different preachers and theories in the Christian world say, and they may be right. I could be wrong, but um, yeah, I could be talking about Chronicles, but. Uh, 
You can smile, Sophie. Uh, but anyway, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I was I was lost in pun- contemplation of these uh, this thorn okay. in Paul's flesh. So there. the thorn in his flesh. Uh, I, they say it's, he's blind. He can't read. There's something temptation or lust. He's got, I've heard all. I've of heard a, a, a limp or some yeah, kind of I've ailment that caused him to. Uh, I don't think it has any physical I don't think maladies. Any yeah. You know what I think it is? I think. Uh, Oh, well, go ahead. You think. Okay. Well, um, I see some people are calling, and John just stepped out, so just hang on for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, the, uh, here's what it is. Uh-huh. I think the thorn in Paul's flesh is the Corinthians. Oh. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. So it says, uh, it says, I have a thorn in the flesh. And and he says he says you know three times and God said no gotta go because he does say that he said uh-huh. three times I said verse eight and he says no let me go let me go mm-hmm. actually we have a caller who wants to talk about this but I am going to say as you read on you will notice and uh, in going on into cha- in chapter twelve uh-huh. it says um, I have asked. Uh, three times I visited you, uh-huh. and see every time he he's, he's been there three times, and three times I didn't want to go, but God said I had to go. You're a thorn in my flesh. But where does that come from in the Bible? In fact, in thirteen verse one, it says, "This is the third time I'm coming to visit you." Uh-huh. Yeah, so I think the uh, the Corinthians are the thorn in his flesh. Why do I think that? Because it's, it's an old Jewish aphorism, uh, a saying, you might say, from Numbers 3355. 3355 of Numbers. Uh-huh. And it says basically in that verse, there are two kinds of enemies. Uh-huh. Uh, bees that sting you in the eyes. In other words, they come directly at you and sting you in your eye. They come, Your enemy comes straight at you. Uh-huh. But then there's the ones that are on your side. And they say, oh, no, I agree with you. I'm on your side. But they're stinging you in your side, in your flesh. Uh-huh. I think what they're talking, he's talking about is, you say you're with me, but look how you're living. Three times you've been a thorn in my flesh. You say you're with me. Huh. Uh, what line... Uh, well, yeah, I got it, 3355 here. And uh, so, well, that's an interesting. I had not heard that before, but it's... Uh, well, it's because it's 3355, and you'll see there are two types of enemies. It says one is like stingers or bees that uh-huh. come at you straight on. Then there's the one that says, I'm your friend, I'm on your side, I agree with you, but they're always sticking you in the side. If you fail to drive out the people who live in the land, God is telling to the people of Israel, if you don't drive out these people in in the promised land, as I'm commanding you to do, uh, they will be like splinters in your eyes or thorns in your side. They will harass you. I tell you, that's why we pay you the big bucks. Isn't that interesting? There's that same... There's that same imagery, the thorn in your side. Well, see, the, the Jews have always had the idea there are two kinds of enemies. The ones that come straight on as a declared enemy. And actually, I think a better word instead of thorn, uh, spicker, uh, uh-huh, pickers uh-huh. or whatever it is. Thorn in your uh, eye. Splinter in your eye. Splinter. It's actually stinger, uh-huh. like a bee. Stinging uh-huh. you in your eye. Straight at you like an enemy. Then this uh-huh. guy says, I'm on your side. I'm with you. I'm your buddy. But all the time, they're poking you like a thorn in the side. Well, I'll be interesting. That's interesting. What I think. Let's go to our phone call. Okay, Let's check. Uh, gentleman that wants to share. An our idea. friend Lee is on the uh, line with us. Let me see if I can bring him up, and we can visit with him. Hi, Lee. Good to talk with you today. 
Thank you, sir. Did Same you have here. a good Fourth of July celebration? Totally. Wonderful. We wonderful. To go over at the Resurrection Baptist Church in their parking lot and watch the fireworks for 15 minutes. Oh, that's great. We had a little fire. We took our, our grandson and, and bought some firecrackers and some things. We had our own little deal for him. And it's so Kids make anything far more fun. Uh, and uh, his first 4th of July with fireworks and firecrackers. And we gave him the punk and let him light up something. It was so fun to watch him light a candle and then take off running to get away from it. You know, it, it was hilarious. It was really good and then we watched some uh some fire uh, bigger firework displays as well and had a great supper and meal as a family i i hope you had a, a great fourth of Ju- july and and i hope a lot of our folks are celebrating our freedoms and as a nation and we're talking a little bit today about corinthians uh, where the spirit of the god is there is freedom and there's liberty and freedom and liberty is a great theme of the scriptures uh, and i don't know if that might be the part of the reason you called in or not but i'm, I'm eager to hear what you have to share with us Okay. Well, uh, Ruth and I are both veterans, so we we do appreciate our country. We thank you for uh, your service as well. We well, do. You're welcome, the Lord Jesus, uh, mm-hmm. who I met. Um, uh, that uh, I'm here. So, um, first of all, I wanted to mention the verse in Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two. Uh huh. That is the verse that the founders used to give us our three. Uh, sections of our government. Uh-huh. Uh, as a basically, I don't have it in front of me, but the, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our king. So uh-huh. we have the judicial, uh, legislature, and, and executive branch. Well, you're and quoting it exactly right. It says, for the Lord is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. He will care for well, us and save us. Uh-huh. Amen. Yeah, and that's the verse that they use to give us those three branches of government. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I wanted to mention is um, the the founders called a democracy a mobocracy, mm-hmm. in quotes. We are actually a representative constitutional republic. republic. Right. So uh, I, I hear that word democracy bandied about, um, but I, I, as, a, as a researcher and so forth, I just... Uh, I want to set the record straight because we'd be in trouble if we were under a democracy. A mobocracy, yeah. That, that's what some yeah. folks are trying to get us to be. Uh, do away with the, uh, uh, what is it? The electoral college. The electoral college is the, the representative yeah. aspect of our of our government of our of our uh, the way that we govern ourselves, and it'd be a disaster, wouldn't it? Amen, brothers. Okay. Well, thank you for what you're doing because it's so important that we understand the truth. Uh, about our country, and if I might mention, uh, wallbuilders dot com is Amen. a super excellent website where you can get the truth about America. Yeah, wallbuilders. Uh, what's his name? The one who um, David Barton. David Barton. Oh man, brilliant, brilliant man. Uh, on the theme of the the Constitution, of things, all things historical about our nation, folks. If you haven't discovered wallbuilders. It's, I believe it's wallbuilders.com. As Lee says here, we encourage you to get to it. It will inform you and, and guide you to help you make, as a citizen, help make better decisions for our nation, for our communities even. Amen. Now, uh, briefly in closing, American Family Association has put out an amazing uh, prayer 
that we need to get a hold of and pray, particularly for repentance for murdering over 60 million mm. babies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the blood of those babies cries out to the Lord, and it's just a wonder that he hasn't judged us most, more severely. Oh, yeah, and, 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 and he will, of course, unless we repent. We must we must turn away from that terrible, terrible wickedness. Uh, it brought about God's judgment on, even on the people of Israel. That was, that was ultimately the reason that they were, were told that the final straw that broke the camel's back and brought God's judgment on the, the, you know, the 70 years of, of, of exile and Babylon's defeat and destruction of Jerusalem. Is, you know, they, they, they were killing the innocent children, and it, God... <laughs> Declared that well, the, this actually, is it. Actually, if I may twink that, please. Um, they failed to honor the Sabbath uh, and let the land rest every mm-hmm. seven years. That too, the seventy years. years. Uh-huh. But the the Canaanites were kicked out of Israel, the land of Israel because they were doing child sacrifices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It all. I mean, ultimately, wickedness uh, it results in the. Lowering of our respect for life and our value for life, no matter if, whether it results in suicide. That's where the enemy of our souls would guide us if we run away from God as a nation or as individuals. It will be despair, hopelessness, suicide, and a loss of the value of life. And we, we're seeing that we must repent. You're exactly right, Lee. Thanks for calling in to remind us. We need to hear that. We need to hear that. All right. Bye-bye. Good evening. Have a good night to you and Ruth and your family. Uh, you can call us as well, 210-340-9585. We'd love to hear a little bit about your 4th of July uh, Independence Day celebrations and, and some maybe some of your insights. Both the book of Corinthians, as I've already mentioned, that wonderful verse in chapter 3 of where the Spirit of God is, there is freedom, there is liberty. Uh, maybe you have some thoughts about the value of God's Word, the value of turning to God and repenting penance and humility as people, one by one, citizens of this nation. Uh, Maybe you have a thought about that for us. We'd love to hear from you. And also the theme of Job. You've tied that together for us a little bit between Corinthians, what Paul's message to the church in Corinth. People that were dedicated, just Mm -hmm. like the signers of the Declaration of Independence. Mm -hmm. You got Paul was obviously dedicated. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Job, and suffering was part of their experience, wasn't it? It, it did seem to be. Mm-hmm. Anyway, turning to Job, may we? Certainly. Okay. Certainly. Certain, certainly. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to do something different. I've mentioned to you before we start the uh-huh. show. I want to do something a little different than we've ever done before. Okay. Um, uh, so what have we got? Just be aware of the time there. I'd be aware of the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. What should I do if I'm aware of it? Well, just kind of know that uh, you... Okay. Just... <laughs> it okay. isn't uh, an infinite... Okay. So I'm just going to say this. You know, people read... Uh, a lot of people don't want to sit down. A lot of people read uh, the book of Job or other books because... And they think how fast you can read and get to the end is the goal. That's not the goal. Understanding it is the goal. So whether it takes a long time or not, that's the purpose. So, But it, I, this is something a little different. I want to take a look at the very last chapter in Job before we begin going back to the first okay, chapter. Okay, interesting. Uh-huh. Because there's something people don't catch. And I've decided that we will try something a little different. Because in the very last chapter of Job, chapter 42, God, uh, God's talking about the three friends that came to visit uh, Job. Mm-hmm. 
And, uh, Use the, the word friends there in quotes because they may not be so. Well, you know, they're, 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 they're they have their religious point mm-hmm, of view. You mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in 42.7, mm-hmm. I just want to point this out. So as we go through the book of Job, we'll know that this is where we're headed, that God don't think that anything they said was right. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Now look what that said. So we know as we're going to go through the book of Job, Mm -hmm. God himself is showing up at the very last and saying, you know, everything you said through this entire book of Job is not right. And yet when we go through it, it sounds so logical, so Mm -hmm. practical, Mm -hmm. and it seems so correct even in our religious views today. But God's showing up and saying, well, whatever they're saying. So as we're going through this, we need to go back and say, you know, I need to remember that God said what they're Mm -hmm. telling us. And it seems so logical and practical. The concept is sound, and the system works for them. So he tells them to take seven, take animals and offer burnt offerings uh, to my. Uh, go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. Oh. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. Right. So Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar the Namathite did as the Lord commanded them, and the Lord accepted Job's. Prayer. No. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. That's right. interesting, isn't it? It is. And now I'm going to suggest something. Job is also considered a prophet mm-hmm. because there are things here who are that we can't really put together till we. Oh, there's music. Okay, but let's we just use take, that as a tease. We when could, we come back, you're going to tell yes. us what. Okay, we're going to talk about why Job is righteous. Okay, what is it in his responses? What is it that that caused Job to be considered by God himself as a righteous man? We'll come back and talk about it. Don't go away. We've got one more segment. Uh, we've talked about the theme of freedom that we have as a nation and its relevance to us. The relevance of the scriptures are so clear. The book of 2 Corinthians in particular, God tells the people of Corinth living in a wicked uh, environment, a very wicked city, how to live as free and godly and righteous men and women in the midst of, uh, of uh, spiritual and moral compromise. It's something we need to learn as well. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah, His truth is marching on. All right, little patriotic song and, with uh, the southern the tune there. White with foam, and here's Soapy Dollar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, nothing like a little picking and grinning there going on from a... 
Battle Hymn of the Republic. How about that? Well, we are back. We've got one more segment coming in here on the Bible Live program. And so, uh, Jacob, you gave us a little tease yeah. as we went into this about talking about uh, Job now moving from our consideration of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, uh, first and second, and he's answering questions and he's uh, he's clarifying some things that they that, that were going on in the church. He he writes back and corrects some of the mistakes and some of the errors that are taking place in the congregation. There, uh, it's a great great passage for us to be aware of and to know about. Uh, and you have to re- understand. I think you have to look at the books of Corinthians in context. Uh, God, you know, there, there's some things about. Uh, Women and worship and about covering their heads and this sort of thing. That remember that Corinth is a city given over to uh, false uh, idolatry and false god, and and that women figure prominently in these terrible, wicked, uh, perverse, immoral w- worship systems. Uh, Diana, you know, have temple prostitutes, and so on. women figured prominently in those uh, systems. And so Paul is very clearly telling the, the church in Corinth to be careful, you know, for, for the women in the worship, be careful to make a distinction well, between... I heard who- that most churches in America, <laughs> Christian churches, are pretty much ran by uh, by women these days. Yeah, more and more. And-, and I think that's taking place in Jewish thought. I think that women are becoming very, very active. And uh, women do have that nurturing <laughs> tendency and they do have the idea and the ability to to congregate and build and make things. So I, I can see that happening. I think the cautionary note of Corinthians, though, is still there, that gender and sexuality is a reality of human existence. And so, you know, for all of us, you know, we need to be careful in, in about the projection. Well, the, so, uh, yeah. so, so there's some things there, we, practicalities we can take from the book of Corinthians for our days as well. But let's jump over then. Let's make that transition from Paul, his suffering, the thorn in his side, and his faithfulness and consistency and stick to Let's jump over back now to this book of the Old Testament. Everybody knows it's the most popular that. book we read every year. As you, folks, as you know, uh, Monday through Friday, you can hear uh, at 930 on this station, you hear a, a reading from the Scriptures, uh, a 15 to 20-minute reading every weeknight, the entire Bible every year. And we get more responses in, to the book of Job than any other than any other book every year. So you're kind of in good company with well, that. Well, thank you, and it's time mm-hmm. to go. <laughs> <laughs> now let's go. Tell us about Job and your... Okay, look, it starts off. Everybody mm-hmm. knows that God says to Satan, hey, Job's righteous, but why is he righteous? Mm-hmm. Well, let's just take a quick look. I'm going to just do kind of a brief outline. It's only supposed to do four or five chapters this mm-hmm. evening. Mm-hmm. Do, do the rest next week. Mm-hmm. But let's take a look. So it says that... Uh, so Satan comes, and if you look, uh, let's see, where are we at here? Um, in uh, chapter 1, mm-hmm. verse 6, it starts off by saying, One day, now almost every English translation, he puts the word angels there. I'm assuming yours does. Mm-hmm. Is that right? One day, angels? Okay, yeah. Okay. Verse 6. Now, why people, they put angels there, but what it actually says is the children of Bene Elohim, which is actually the children of a name for God. So, but it says angels. And then it says something interesting. And Satan, who is an angel, came with them. Uh huh. Now, the question is why is it distinguishing Satan from 
the children, sons of God. Well, the ancient literature suggests this. If I say to you, you go to church on Sundays so most of the time, don't you, Soapy? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of Christians do, right? Huh? Right. So you're in, would you agree with me that in one sense in this physical world, you're in the presence of God? Right. Okay. So let's say that while you're in the presence of God, Satan is an angel. Mm-hmm. But you're a human. You're not an angel. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're a believer, let's, say, let's call you a son of God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're in church, you're in the physical world, you're a son of God, you're appearing before God, shall we say. Now we kind of leave the physical, and we look kind of like, we'll look at the spiritual heavenly. One day, you, one reason you're thought, saying that is one day the members of the heavenly court, and actually the Hebrew there, it says one day the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And that's kind of what you're yes, alluding to, right? And it goes right? on to say what? <clears throat> Say what now? It goes on. What does it say? Uh, came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, uh, came with them. Now, it's distinguishing. It wants you to know there's something about Satan. He's an angel. If it's just talking about angels coming, then it would be the angels came. Mm-hmm. All right, so there's something else going on. Now, one day, that's chapter 1, verse 6. Mm-hmm. In Hebrew, that was Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Rosh Hashanah. Now, I want to show you. Which is the day of, uh, is that the tabernacle? The no, 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 no. That's the day that uh, you have 10 days to repent, make up to human beings everything you've done wrong. Repent, mm-hmm. and if I've stole your radio, return your radio, pay you for your radio. Do and these 10 days lead up to? Yom Kippur. And okay. in chapter 2. Okay. And in chapter 2, you'll find. One day. The again. members of the heavenly court came again. That's referring mm-hmm. to Yom Kippur. So first, Rosh Hashanah, <laughs> when you have your ten days of correcting anything you've done wrong, you can do it at any time. You should do it at any time. But if you haven't, this is when you should do it. Mm-hmm. Then in chapter 2, we've got Yom Kippur. Now, this is from the ancient Jewish understanding, mm-hmm. and modern, I guess, so that you're showing up with to God. And Satan is showing up. He's the accuser. But this ex- this takes place before the institution of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, right? Well, perhaps and perhaps not. Okay. But my point is, why is he, why is Job righteous? Does it mean he never did anything wrong? Mm-hmm. He did all, whatever laws existed, does mm-hmm. it mean he did all the laws, did them correctly? Mm-hmm. Or does it mean something else? Okay. Um, let's take a look back in chapter 1. First of all, it says, it goes on to say, uh, uh, he had, verse 2, he had seven sons and three daughters mm-hmm. were born to him. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 cows, 500 pairs of oxen, 500 she-asses. And mm-hmm. lots of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, at the end, in chapter 42, all these things, not the children, mm-hmm. but everything mm-hmm. else, he gets back double. Mm-hmm. Now, why? Because the penalty in the Torah is that you pay back double for what you took. Stolen. Stolen. They were so stolen from they him. They were stolen from him. So he gets all that back. But when it comes to his children... He doesn't get double them because you can't make up for a, a value of a human being. That's right. Yeah, Two does not is better than one. Each person is valuable. Each person counts. Hmm. So he gets he has a seven sons and three daughters again. Mm-hmm. 
Now, that's, and that's very, very, very precise because I want you to make sure you understand that people are not possessions like cattle and mm-hmm. stuff. You get double back to things, mm-hmm. but the people, mm-hmm. when they're gone, they're gone. Very interesting. And so, so what he's doing is, is, and then look at verse 4, chapter 1. His sons had a custom of holding feasts in one another's homes. Mm-hmm. Well, and he says, he says, and he always, and look at down verse. Uh, They're a very close-knit family, it looks like. They get along well. The does. children get along. The three sisters would come to celebrate with them, and they would celebrate for several days. And Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each one. For Job said to himself, uh, perhaps just in case my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. And this was his regular practice, too. So what he's doing is, mm-hmm. this is why Job is righteous. Because if he's done something wrong, and we're, we, we know in the Torah and in the Bible, it says everybody's a sinner. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mean he didn't sin. Mm-hmm. It means that he repented and corrected it. And he's even take, watching out for his children. So Humble what makes and him innocent mm-hmm. and righteous mm-hmm. is the repentance and re, uh, correcting his conduct. For the Christian, it would be uh, with the idea of Jesus. Oh, humility and brokenness and, and well, all that. And repentance. Whatever yeah, you want to sure. do, it mm-hmm. he's doing it, mm-hmm. and that's why it's telling us about one day Yom mm-hmm. Kippur. And he's also making sure on Yom, uh, I'm sorry, Rosh Hashanah than Yom Kippur. So it's making him righteous is that if he or his children have done something wrong, he's correcting it, he's repenting, and he's doing the ceremonies. What's interesting to me about the one interesting factor is that the whole book begins with God bragging on one of his children. Well, I think that's so fascinating that to me. Before we go any further, <clears throat> excuse me. So in chapter one, yeah. uh, have says, you noticed my my son Job? You know, well, <laughs> Satan, uh, and in verse seven, one seven, God said to Satan, "Where are you coming from?" Satan answered God and said, "From roaming the earth and traversing it, or going to and fro, as many translations say." He says, well, as you said, have you considered my servant Job? So that verse about going over the earth doesn't just mean I'm, I'm doing a lot of good sightseeing. Mm-hmm. It has some other meaning. <laughs> yes. So, and then he, Satan says to God in verse 9, he says, is it for no good reason that Job fears God? And you have shielded him. Mm-hmm. Now, what I want to br- bring to your attention is this. Was Satan able to entice God and tempt him. Is that what that story is supposed to be? No. I don't think so. Okay, well, I don't think so either. But that's an interesting question. If Job was innocent, how was he innocent? Because he repented whenever he did something wrong. He did what he's supposed to do. But it's also, the other thing is that uh, when Satan comes, he's saying, look, um, I need you to do this. So he has to ask permission from God. Mm-hmm. Now, this is the basically the Jewish understanding. I know this is not a Christian take, but angels do not have free will in the Jewish world. Okay. Now, I didn't say that Satan didn't rebel. He may have rebelled, but he was made to do it. That's what his purpose of being that angel is. He's supposed to do it. So when God says to him, he says, look, he said, uh, you've come to me, and you've, actually in some of your versions will say, you've incited me, you've 
enticed me. You've got me to go along. He gave permission. Why was it important for Satan to ask permission? Because he couldn't do it without God's consent. And if and it's a physical thing mm-hmm. he was doing to him. He doesn't attack him, Job, on any spirituality, shall we say. He can't he attacks him on physical things. I don't understand that. Well, because he doesn't somehow get into his mind and his spirit and say, Oh, I'm gonna make you not believe in oh, God. Oh, I see. Okay, good. Okay, I get that. Okay. So, so he's saying, but why is it necessary? For God to satisfy Satan's desire. Have you ever asked yourself that question? Many times, and I, I have an answer. But you do? Mm-hmm. What is it? Well, because it, that is the basic lesson of the entire book of Job is why mm, – why and, and a lot of people ask this. I've had I have had basic trainees at Lackland uh, ask this question: Why I seem to? Why does everything seem to go wrong for my family? Why do we suffer? Why do things go wrong? And and this, that, and the other. <clears throat> and it's a basic idea that if we belong to God, if we're trusting God and love God, and we we're trusting in His in, in, in the Savior in Christ, we're born again. We're that everything is going to go right, and we're never going to suffer, and nothing's ever bad going to happen to us, and that this whole book is hitting on that theme that no, that's not going to be the environment. You know that heaven will be that way. There'll be no wickedness, no suffering, no tears in heaven. But we're not in heaven yet. We're not even in Iowa. <laughs> Remember, feel the dream. But the point is, is that we go through the same struggles and difficulties, and failures, and loss, and and disappointments in life. We go through the as God's people. We're not going to be. Uh, we're not going to be delivered from all so that. So, is it your understanding from what you're outlining that God had to give the permission to have that bad stuff done to any Christian? Uh, what I'm saying is that God, the environment we live in, yeah. is going to be an environment yeah. in which good people okay. suffer and bad people sometimes prosper. Okay, but that's the environment you're talking about. I'm talking about the world we live the in. The four corners of the story says mm-hmm. Satan asks, God found it inter- interesting to me. God knows Job is a swell guy. Mm-hmm. He's righteous. He repents. He does even mm-hmm. takes he loves care of God. his children. Have you noticed my servant Job, how he's the righteous man? God, for some reason, wants to please Satan. And so he gives... I don't he, think God wants to please... Well, <laughs> I would I can, never say it that way. I know I, you I, wouldn't. I'm saying it that way on purpose. Are you trying to provoke, be yes. provocative there? Yes. Okay, all right. Because God doesn't... God could say to Satan, absolutely not. He's a swell guy. Of course he could. But he, for some reason, he grants permission to Satan. And Satan mm-hmm. then makes bad things happen. But if we go down and look, <laughs> Satan doesn't somehow get to Job and make Job... No, no, you're exactly right. He no. ma- he makes bad things happen to his possessions. Mm-hmm. He, in fact, bad things happen to his family and his mm-hmm. kids. And his health. Mm-hmm. All that. So it's all physical that Satan was able to do, but he uses other people, you mm-hmm. might say, to do it. The, he uses the elements in, of this world, of our lives, of our all, life on planet all Earth. All physical. Mm-hmm. All, yeah. But he couldn't do it without God's permission. Right. So the interesting thing is, the question in my mind is, why... Would God grant that permission? 
the answer, as I see it, is, is, is there's an answer specifically for Job and for his life and for his friends and the people who are witnessing him. There is a lesson that he's teaching them through this. And, of course, we'll talk about that. What is that lesson? But there's also the big global lesson that he's teaching is that this is a reality for every child of God. It, we're all going to suffer. We're all going to suffer loss and disappointments. If, and, for, and if that's the pain. case, if that's the case, what you're saying, <clears throat> then focusing our thoughts, then if we're going to suffer like Job did, mm-hmm. and in the story, Satan had to get permission for the, the punish and make Job suffer. Yeah, go, Satan if, is if, not God's well, equal. Well, He's not. No, but what I'm saying is, you know, if that's your focus, then to carry that thought throw forward, uh-huh. Satan must ask permission to do bad stuff to people. Here well, he has permission. Okay, so that's your understanding. Uh-huh. Okay, that's good enough. That's all I'm trying to get to. But what I'm saying is, if he indeed had asked permission, and God granted permission, the question <clears throat> in our minds should be, well, we understand some really bad stuff's happening to Job. Mm-hmm. No doubt about that. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, he had stuff stolen from him, and we get, except for the children, he gets double back. Mm-hmm. And at the end, we know that everything these guys come and say to Job, everything is wrong. Mm-hmm. Even though it sounds logical, mm-hmm. because God himself shows up and says, these guys are wrong. Mm-hmm. Then they ask Job, the victim of all this, to pray. They tell you, those three guys, to have Job pray for you. Job does. Then Job gets his stuff restored, and they learn everything, all their religious philosophy, mm-hmm. was wrong. Mm-hmm. So what's fascinating is there's somewhere in there, there's some understanding. Now, I'm going to give you – I'm going to jump ahead in the interest of time. Mm-hmm. I'm go, I've debated if I should say this or not. Uh-oh. You going to get us in trouble? I don't know. <laughs> but here's uh, – I'll, I'll not say it if you don't want it to. No, I'm not worried about it at all. But here's the point. Let's say Job we, is a, a, a philosophy or a prophecy okay. of Israel. It's Israel. Okay. The other people that are coming to him are not Israel. Now, we know Job as a human being appears not to be Jewish. Okay. We okay. got that. But let's say that thematically he's Israel. And what happens is – Okay, let's go – you're saying a word that our listeners are out there thinking, Israel, I mean he's Jewish. And I, I, I'm going to say that's one thing you could Jewish. be saying. But, but I'm saying he's a representative of the people of God. When you say I Israel, I say that I must what, say he's, he represents Israel. I'm just saying my understanding of that. The, because, my view would be you're saying he's well, a representative I can't say of God's that because people. Because the other people, the three characters, are not. They're uh, not Israel. They're not Israel, they're and not they the represent what you might say Gentiles. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is, is that they say finally at the end, you must. God says, go to Job, have him pray for mm-hmm. you. Now, why would God say, have Job pray for you? Why didn't they just say, why don't you guys repent just like Job did? And no, did you notice something else? Job doesn't get all of his fortunes restored until he... After he does that, yeah. As I was going to say, after he prays mm-hmm. for them. I just read that a while ago, huh? So, there's something going on here that we're supposed to catch. And what I'm saying is, is that... Satan comes 
and he asked for permission. God could have said no. Job's a good guy, but he grants permission. Mm -hmm. So for some reason, God wanted to grant permission. I don't know why, but God granted permission. And if he didn't want to, he could have said no, but he did grant permission. So the question is, why, when Satan came and asked for permission, why would God say, yeah, go ahead and do this time? It's, it's, I don't see why you say I don't know why. Because it, it seems to me what's being taught in this book mm-hmm. is not only true about Job, but there's a lesson there. The whole fundamental argument of the book is they are saying mm-hmm. that when you're a believer, when you're a true believer, a follower after God, nothing bad is going to happen to you. You're going to be wonderful. You're going to have everything's going to go right for you. And since, these Job, you're suffering, some things have happened, that must mean that there's sin in your life, that you have – and isn't the whole theme of the book, no, that's not right, good things – in the world, as God is putting well, actually, it together, the, the good three, things are going to happen three, to bad people, bad things are going to happen to good people. The three characters <clears throat> excuse me, are wrong on all their theological arguments, right. one of which is, Job, you really are a sinner. And as the one guy gets worse, he keeps telling him, worse and worse and worse what a sinner is. Yet and we, therefore, you're suffering because no, of your sin. Yet we know that Job is not a sinner. He's had his sins forgiven by his ceremonies. I know. So we but what know. they're saying is that you are you are suffering, so that must mean you're a sinner. What they're, I'm trying to but say, they're wrong. But they're wrong. I'm saying they're wrong. Yeah. But I'm saying that's the battle here. Yeah. And what God is establishing is that look, in the in the world you're gonna live in Good things are going to happen to bad people, and bad things are going to happen to good people. And and just because you suffer, difficult, that doesn't mean you're a sinner. Isn't that? That's my point. Okay. Because if We're on you the see, same, if the you same see point, something then. bad happening to people, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. let's say it was, uh, let's say Israel. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that they were sinners? Because they, is that why they're no, being No, not punished? necessarily. It does not. That's, exactly. So we know that argument is wrong. The other argument that's also equally fallacious I just is? had a friend that lost a child, a, a, right. a godly, good, wonderful couple. that I know, They love the Lord, but their child was lost. And uh, it, 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 does that mean that they're sinners because a child? No. That, that's not. the whole point that we get. A, well, the, one point we get. One of the other get. major themes of one of the other characters is, because they actually embody certain mm-hmm, arguments. Mm-hmm. One of the other major themes is, well, it's just larger. Everything works together. You just can't understand everything, Job. Mm-hmm. It's all meant to be the way Mm -hmm. and we're told that's wrong too and there's a third argument that we'll explore was the idea of meant that do you mean by that argument uh and that's eliphaz right no eliphaz is the sinner okay the other one is that the idea of uh fatalism that's all just meant to happen and it doesn't that you can't understand the whole picture because you're not god yeah well, and there's maybe a little bit of rationale to that. Sure, and that's the danger, <clears throat> is that every one of these people have a certain religious mm-hmm. uh, philosophy, mm-hmm. religious philosophy, a theology. But we're told at the end that the, God didn't say that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's something else going on. It's interesting. So let, let's just, it's interesting. Look at uh, chapter 2. Mm-hmm. I'm there. Okay. So – one Man. day, it says, it starts wait, off with wait, those wait, words no, I, again. I'm, yeah. I'm, but I'm past that. Okay. Take, uh, take a look down mm-hmm. at while, uh, verse 8 and 9. All right. 8, 9, and 10. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he had set among the ashes. Uh, 
his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your dignity, your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. Actually, uh, the version I got says he did not sin with his lips. Mm -hmm. But so the point is, we've just gone through some horrible things happened to all of his property and his children. Mm -hmm. And now his wife says, and Job, we lost our kids, we lost our property. And look at you, you got boils. Why don't you just curse God and die? Well, the ancient writers understood this to be as a very sympathetic statement about a loving, caring wife. She's saying, I can't bear to see you suffer so much. Let him go. Yeah. Give it up now. Yes. So, in other words, Satan has been granted permission. So if we do this like a movie theater, on the physical world, we go. you go to the synagogue or the church, and you're in the physical world, and you're presenting yourself before God. In the spiritual world, shall we say, Satan's saying, God, can I have permission to go do stuff? And God says, for whatever reason, yeah, go ahead. So... That's, and then he comes down and he makes physical things happen. And then when these physical things happen, he can use good or bad. We just need a whole bunch of bad stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. Now his wife comes along and says, look, why don't you just give it up, curse God and die. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, we're not going to do that. So Satan can use the good or the bad to get to you to give in. And notice that the spirituality, the spirit or religious point of view, whatever you want to call it. That was what Satan was trying to get to with all the physical stuff. And that's what Job did not give up. Mm -hmm. Well, I differ with the ancient, you know, if the people, you say that they say that, that, that she was just being benevolent and good. I can understand that if she's just trying to release her husband from suffering and say, go ahead, honey, go on home to be with the Lord or whatever. But the idea of of her urging him or encouraging him to curse God, I can't see that as being something benevolent. Okay. That she's... Okay, yeah, that's fine. It's a, it's a big world. Lots of people have different ideas. As the music There's something starts, in our earphones, another sound is coming through. Yeah, I hear something. I hear somebody talking. Oh, something's going on there. Okay, I see. I can stop that. <laughs> All right. Go ahead, Jacob. Uh, anyway, let's... so now uh, in Chapter 4, Eliphaz. Although we are on our – we are time – it's time to go. We're oh, already it is? Out. We hear music now? Yeah. So there. you said go ahead as a trap? Oh, well, I just now realized. <laughs> ah, okay. Well, anyway, I'd like to add more go. But always try to be the kind of person you would like to have for a parent. And don't give up on us, folks. We just ran out of time tonight, but we're next week we're going to continue through the book of Job. You can tune in Monday through Friday and hear the book of Job. And then next week we can come back to the same theme and continue our discussion of the tremendous lesson that comes to us from this person and this book. to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast.
You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.